0: Chapter 7, Gratitude There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Albert Einstein One of the benefits of acceptance is that it allows us to more clearly witness our reality as it is and, with a bit of practice, find moments of joy or meaning even if things aren't so wonderful overall. A while ago I received this email from Linda. A member of the happier community, in response to a message I had written about finding some relief from a debilitating headache by focusing on small moments I was grateful for. Linda wrote about her experience with something much scarier cancer, and the surprising strength she found to face her circumstances. In July 2001, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I had just turned 40 and my very first mammogram showed cancer cells. At the time I was a single parent to my then seven-year-old little girl. It was an especially difficult time because my daughter's father and I were estranged and he lived across the country from me. My family was in denial and they weren't very supportive of me during surgery or my radiation treatment. I had a lot of fear and sadness about not being able to earn a living or worse, leaving my daughter without a mother. As the weeks after surgery passed, my sadness turned into severe depression. I was exhausted by the treatments and having to drive myself 60 miles round trip to receive them and drain by having to take care of my daughter's needs. On top of this, I felt so much stress from worrying about money. I was only making 60% of my regular income on short-term disability. My depression got so bad that I sought out a family therapist. During one of my therapy sessions, I was feeling especially down. My wonderful therapist told me that humans are like chickens, we see worms and then, like chickens, pull them out from the ground. I was pulling out the worms of feeling sorry for myself, feeling abandoned, feeling alone. I felt justified but my downheartedness was only making me feel sadder. So she asked me to pull out the good worms, to tell her something that was good in my life. It was a hard question to answer. But I said, well, I am grateful that I survived cancer, many women do not. I am grateful that my daughter still has her mother, many daughters lose their mothers to cancer. I am grateful that I had health insurance to cover my surgery and my radiation, many people don't have health insurance. I am grateful that the cancer was found in its earliest stages, many find their cancer too late. I am grateful that I have a job to go back to. Many people don't have a job to return to after taking a few months off from work. I was going through all the things that were good in my life and that I was grateful for and I realized that I had never done that up until that moment. That they changed my life forever. With God's blessing, I have been cancer-free since 2001. After that valuable and life-changing lesson in my therapist's office, I learned to find the joy and many blessings, even in the darkest of days. Later on I even found myself grateful for having breast cancer. It taught me to be grateful for every day and you never take anything for granted. So now whenever I have an especially difficult day, I focus on what I am grateful for. When I get a bad headache, for example, I list all the things I am grateful for in that moment. I am grateful that my body is talking to me, it's telling me to slow down. I am grateful that I can work from home so that I can rest in my bedroom to recover from my headache, whereas many people have to continue to work, even with a migraine. I am grateful that it's only a bad headache, and not something more serious. Linda's story stayed with me for months after she wrote in. What incredible courage! She had every reason to feel sad, overwhelmed, and scared. Not only did she accept her situation, but she focused her attention on what she could appreciate in her circumstances and feel a genuine gratitude for. In an unexpected way, getting cancer had made her happier because going through something so traumatic taught her to appreciate many more aspects of her life. That, in turn, helped her persevere through such a challenging experience. When something terrible happens, finding even a few things we appreciate contributes to our resilience. It reminds us that our life is richer and broader than the current crisis we're facing. Remember the story I shared in the introduction about my dad's decision to go see the beautiful Vienna Opera House even while we were living in a refugee settlement? He wasn't denying our reality and challenges. He knew that we hardly had any money or enough food to eat, and he didn't know if we would ever get to the United States. Even so, by choosing to be grateful for being able to visit something beautiful together, He reminded us that despite our temporary challenges, we could still experience joy in our lives. Going to visit the opera house that day didn't change our situation, but I'm certain that for my parents, the few hours we spent there were not just a relief but fuel to help them persevere. I was too stubborn to share this relief, as I shared with you. Boy, did it take me a long time to learn that lesson. Researchers have demonstrated this link between gratitude and resilience. In his book Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier, Robert Demons, a psychologist at the University of California, Davis, offers a powerful example. In 1992, Hurricane Andrew swept through Florida. It was one of the deadliest natural disasters in the state's history. One study found that for parents who lived through the hurricane, One of the main factors that strengthened their resilience in the aftermath was feeling grateful for what they had not lost during the disaster. No doubt they went through a horrific experience, but gratitude offered them a way to broaden their emotional lens and feel some optimism and peace. While they lost a lot, they didn't lose everything. Practicing gratitude amidst challenges has nothing to do with lying to ourselves or cheating on reality, which is what I'd thought that day at the Vienna Opera House and for several decades afterward. It's not about being grateful for something being awful but rather making a courageous choice to focus on something good, however small, within the awful. Viktor Frankl, one of the most brilliant psychotherapists of the 20th century came up with the concept of tragic optimism while living through the horrors of Auschwitz, a Nazi concentration camp. Frankl realized that optimism wasn't about having illusions but rather recognizing that we can choose our attitude in even the most dire circumstances. Sometimes what we have to be grateful for is just that, our ability and freedom to make our own choices. He writes in Man's Search for Meaning. Man can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of independence of mind, even in such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Gratitude involves making an active, conscious choice to focus our attention on something positive in our lives, even when things may be very challenging. This doesn't mean that you need to feel good when something bad happens, in fact, if you read the previous chapter you know the value of allowing yourself to feel how you feel, whether it's good or bad. But bringing something you're genuinely grateful for into focus gives you more strength to get through whatever life may bring your way. Gratitude becomes part of the fuel that keeps you going. Magnifying joy. The beauty of practicing gratitude is that it doesn't only help us persevere through difficult times but also amplifies the good in our lives when things are going okay. Earlier I shared with you several studies that showed how doing something as simple as writing down several things you're grateful for every day leads to increased life satisfaction. Like a magnifying glass, gratitude helps us savor and truly experience the small moments of joy or contentment that are already there the same moments we might otherwise not notice as we rush through our busy lives and routines. Researchers, including psychologist Ted Diner, show that the frequency of positive experiences has greater impact on how good we feel than the intensity of these experiences. In other words, many small moments of joy make us happier than one big exciting experience, as long as we're aware of them. Sometimes this simply requires that we notice what we are doing and remind ourselves to appreciate the experience rather than taking it for granted. Other times it requires that we get creative and infuse our experiences with a bit more beauty or care. Darlene, a member of the happier community, shared her story with me. It offers a wonderful example of how practicing gratitude during a stressful time not only helped her feel a bit more calm, but also led to a beautiful annual ritual. I want to share with you a personal holiday ritual I started 20 years ago. It was my first year back to work after my daughter was born and I was working in a retail store that played a Seattle radio station as background music. There was this piece of instrumental music that would come on every afternoon called "Danger Eyes by Jim Brickman. I found it so beautiful I decided to order the album. Compact discs had taken over cassette tapes, But my car still had a tape deck so I had to special order the cassette. It took a while for the cassette to come in and in the meantime, the Christmas chaos had started in the mall. Between the endless Christmas music and noise of the crowds, by the end of the day I could not wait to get home. The day I got the tape I had forgotten all about it until just before I started clearing the dishes from the table and getting my daughter ready for bed. I put the tape in the deck to play and all of a sudden this incredibly beautiful sound filled my senses and I started to cry. I had been so caught up in the pressures of work, Christmas, and family life that I had forgotten to take a moment every now and then to just breathe. Here was this beautiful sound and I almost let it become background noise. The expression sometimes you must stop and smell the roses just smacked me right in the eardrum. Needless to say, I stopped what I was doing gathered up my little girl, and sat down on the couch to listen to the entire album. Every year now I purchase a new piece of instrumental music, and when the holiday madness gets a bit much, I stop and hear the roses. When we pause to savor some of the sweet moments within our daily routines, our lives become much more enjoyable. It's so simple. It doesn't ask that we do more, run faster, or try harder. We simply have to pause long enough to notice. It could be a moment of beauty or comfort, the good taste of our food, the notes in a piece of music, a patch of sunshine that greets us as we head out for the day. Like Darlene, we can experience more joy in our everyday moments by shifting the question from how much can I get done during this busy time, to how can I get this all done and savor some moments at the same time? Overcoming your natural negativity bias the benefits of gratitude are many, it boosts our emotional immune system and gives us strength to get through difficult times, it amplifies the good and fills us with more joy when things are going okay, and as research I shared suggests, it even improves our physical health. But in order to experience these benefits, we need to make gratitude a regular practice. This is key. The truth is that we're more attracted to the negative, the stressful. And the difficult, which can be really frustrating. This tendency toward the negative isn't a built-in self-defeating mechanism. Rather, researchers suggest that this quality developed to help protect us from potential threats in our environment. Danger usually involves negative stimuli, so our brains are constantly scanning our environment for something that's wrong, often ignoring positive experiences in the process. I frequently hear people say that they're upset with themselves for being so negative, for always noticing what's wrong or what needs to be fixed. I tell them the same thing I tell myself whenever my negativity bias goes into overdrive. It's not your fault and you're not doing anything wrong. It's the brain doing what it thinks is right and trying to make sure you stay safe and protected. Rick Hansen, a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, writes on his blog that our brain is like velcro for negative experiences but teflon for positive ones he points out that that our amygdala the oldest part of the brain that regulates emotions and survival functions uses about two-thirds of its neurons to detect negative experiences and feelings ouch not only are our brains naturally drawn toward focusing on and highlighting negative experiences But negative experiences also have a greater impact on how we feel than positive ones. We're simply more sensitive to them. Researchers such as Daniel Kahneman, a Nobel Prize winner in economics, have found that we believe that negative stimuli contain more information and value for our survival, and because of that, we tend to instinctively give them more weight when making our decisions. This makes sense eating a poisonous mushroom could kill us, while a regular mushroom will just taste good. So of course we spend more time and attention looking for signs that the mushrooms in our lives might be poisonous and less time appreciating the ones that aren't. In The Upward Spiral, neuroscientist Alex Cobb recounts a fascinating experiment conducted by researchers in Switzerland. The researchers played recordings of angry or calm voices for subjects to hear. But interestingly, they played the voices at the same time, one in the left ear and one in the right ear. They asked subjects to pay attention to only their left ear or only their right ear. The researchers found that the amygdala responded to the angry voice whether or not the person was paying attention to it, emphasis mine. This experiment demonstrates that our brain's more sensitive response to negative emotions is automatic, it's not something we can control. This is fundamental to our negativity bias, and yes, kind of a bummer. But there is good news. We have the ability to choose where we focus our attention, and which events, experiences, and memories get our awareness. This is the essence of the practice of gratitude. Gratitude, like acceptance, helps us avoid being pulled into whatever direction our brains naturally want to take us, and instead allows us to make deliberate decisions about where to focus. This is truly empowering. To counter our brain's natural negativity bias we must become intentional and disciplined about practicing gratitude. In positivity, top-notch research reveals the upward spiral that will change your life. Barbara L. Fredrickson, a psychology professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, suggests that to truly flourish we need to aim for a positivity ratio of 3 to 1. This means that for every heart-wrenching negative emotional experience you endure, You experience at least three heartfelt positive emotional experiences that uplift you, she writes. We originally built the Happier app with the 3 to 1 ratio in mind. There are many little ways in which Happier encourages users to capture at least three moments of gratitude every day. I don't want to give it all away, but digital confetti and hot air balloons are involved. In fact, the original corporate name for Happier was Good Times 3 our homage to the idea that we need to balance our difficult, stressful, sad, or frustrating experiences with more uplifting, content, and joyful ones. As a side note, there is a lot of debate in the research community about what the perfect ratio is. So think of 3 to 1 as a helpful rule of thumb of what it takes to course-correct our brains that are so attracted to the negative, as Dr. Fredrickson points out. Practicing the 3 to 1 positivity ratio allows us enough room to experience a wide variety of emotions without feeling as if we have to avoid certain ones entirely. Earlier I mentioned a study that showed how Vietnam War veterans with high levels of gratitude were more resilient and less affected by post-traumatic stress disorder. They still experienced PTSD, but they had access to many other emotions as well, including positive ones. Gratitude practices aren't bandages to cover up what we don't want to feel, but rather they give us the emotional strength to persevere through difficulties, large and small, and help us amplify the good moments. In fact, practicing gratitude is even more important when you're feeling down. Research shows that negativity begets more negativity. When you're in a bad mood, stressed, or sad, your brain is even more sensitive to anything negative than it is under normal circumstances. Think about this simple example, you had a great day at work, finished a huge project, got great feedback from your boss, and an awesome thank you email from one of your customers telling you how your work helped them solve a problem. That is a really great day, right? But as you drive home, someone cuts you off. You feel annoyed. Then you hit unexpectedly bad traffic, which makes you even more frustrated. And then you realize you left your phone at the office. The final blow, and suddenly you're sure that the universe is out to punish you. In less than half an hour you have forgotten all about your great day at work. Your brain has grabbed onto the small annoyances and amplified them into major frustration that now dominates how you feel. When you get home, everything seems to annoy you, from your dog jumping on you with excitement, can't I ever come home to some peace and quiet to your partner surprising you with tickets to a movie, why doesn't he understand how tired I am after a long day at work? Can you relate? Have you had a similar experience when a series of seemingly small annoyances overwhelm everything else that might have happened that day or week, and leave you feeling deflated, frustrated, or annoyed at the people around you? I think we have all been there. One of my favorite ways out of these negativity spirals is the gratitude zoom, which you can do anywhere, anytime. By zooming in on something positive, you take your brain off its negativity bias autopilot and shift it towards something you can appreciate. You turn on gratitude rather than letting your negativity bias rule. I like to think of it almost like one of those barriers that comes down at railroad crossings. We have no choice but to pause when it comes down. Practicing the gratitude zoom is like bringing down this mental barrier to shift the direction of your thoughts. I love this email from Susanna about how she used the gratitude zoom to turn around a particularly nasty day. I am the primary caregiver for my mom, who is nearly 85 years old and has Alzheimer's. I'm also struggling with two kids hitting puberty at once and homeschooling the little hormone-fueled angels at the same time. This morning my daughter's evil cat left me a huge present of birth, and my dog joined in and puked on the bed, which was due to be changed tomorrow morning but yesterday was the day. My friend stood me up when I tried to have a coffee date. And the caretaker who is supposed to help my mom is spending all her time on the phone. All of this sucks. But, I am now sitting here next to my beautiful mother with an iced Starbucks latte, a cat, not the buffer, on my lap and a thankful heart that my family is surrounding me. And the Nashville Predators won the Western Conference and are going to the Stanley Cup. Remembering these small things I'm so grateful for was like this amazing 10-minute reprieve. The Valley of Joy in the summer of 2017 I traveled with my family to Tanzania to share some happier skills and practices with the 200 girls who study at the SEGA, Secondary Education for Girls Advancement, Girls School. These girls come from extreme poverty and many of them lost one or both parents to malaria, AIDS, or other diseases. While the school provides them with room and board, in addition to an excellent education, these girls don't have any extras, no toys, phones, jewelry, fun clothes beyond a school uniform, or books other than those in the school library. Yet they're so deeply grateful for everything they do have. During one of our happier workshops, I asked the girls to write something they were grateful for on huge pieces of paper we had taped around their outdoor cafeteria. Here are just a few examples of what they wrote. I'm grateful that we have peanut butter at the school. I'm grateful that I have both of my parents, mother and father. I'm grateful to have good teachers who care about me. I'm grateful because I have all my basic needs met at the school. I'm grateful that we have computers. I'm grateful because I'm alive. These girls are deeply grateful for the very basic things many of us take for granted. Because they have experienced such intense poverty, safe and clean shelter, three meals a day, and access to an education are special and extraordinary. They're not givens. But most of us don't have the same perspective, and if we do appreciate these basics, our appreciation happens quickly and fades quickly. Living in refugee settlements with my parents, without much food or certainty about the future, was a difficult experience that I'll never forget. Yet as I sit in the kitchen of my comfortable home in Boston with a fridge full of nutritious food nearby, I catch myself being annoyed that we don't have enough counter space. I wonder how I can be anything but grateful for all that I have today, given where I came from. I'm less grateful than I could be because my brain has adapted. The blessing and the curse of the human brain is that it's really good at adapting, to the good and the bad. Once it adapts, once we get used to something, we come to expect it to be there. Rather than being in awe of being alive, of having food, water, and shelter, we take these as our rights, as givens, as our baseline, and then we strive for more. This is human and it's completely normal. To survive, we need to quickly learn how to overcome challenges and get used to the changes they bring. But this adaptability also means that we can easily take for granted the good that is already present in our daily lives. That means that we need to fight a bit harder for our moments of joy. This is exactly what committing to a regular practice of gratitude can help us do, to overcome what I call the curse of the moving baseline, you read about mine in chapter 1 your moving baseline might go something like this. You feel absolutely, undeniably certain that when you get that promotion, finish a big project, change jobs, lose or gain 10 pounds, find your soulmate, move to a different apartment or city, or buy a dishwasher that doesn't make noise when it runs, you'll be happy. You work really hard and the thing you really want happens. You get the promotion. You lose those 10 pounds. Your soulmate appears that new dishwasher makes so little noise you can't tell when it's running that feels awesome but after a short while your brain adapts your original baseline catches up to where you are now the goal that was once something to strive for becomes your new normal something you expect to be there you get used to how things are and you no longer get the jolt of happiness like you did when you first reached your goal what's worse Because your brain is doing its job of looking for something that is wrong and needs your attention, you begin to notice everything that is wrong with the very thing that you were certain was your path to blissful happiness. You discover that the promotion comes with new challenging responsibilities. Your satisfaction of finishing a project fizzles when you get another difficult one to tackle. That new job reveals its own stresses and annoyances. You lose 10 pounds but find three new things you don't like about your body. Your soulmate turns out to be a real person with flaws rather than the idyllic dreamboat you envisioned. And now that the new dishwasher makes very little noise you notice that the fridge is super loud. The moving baseline is the very reason why our attempts to find a genuine happiness through achievements usually fail so miserably. Here is an email I received from Dylan in the Happier community that so eloquently illustrates how quickly we can adapt to even the most positive changes. My family and I had recently inherited a fairly large sum of money during my last year of college. I had grown up middle class, and I worked part-time to help pay for college, while also taking out lots of loans. When we received this money, my mother was not working and my father had just picked up an independent contracting job after being out of work for a while. Needless to say, that money did increase our happiness, no more daily stressing about money, no more fights about what to spend it on. However, after that initial surge, the good feeling disappeared, and I was left with my same thoughts and patterns, including my negative tendencies money can certainly alleviate stress and make life easier. This is important to mention. But money can't change your bad habits, your negativity, or your moral fiber. That comes from within, and it takes hard work. The trouble with our adaptability, says Alex Cobb, author of The Upward Spiral, is that it can dampen our feelings of satisfaction because our expectations determine how happy we feel. When I interviewed him for this book, he told me, Our happiness depends not on what happens, but on the difference between what we expect and what happens. This idea is related to getting stuck in the value of suffering. The minute we expect something to be a certain way, whether it's something amazing, such as being able to fly in an airplane, or small, such as having a good cup of coffee every morning, we rob ourselves of the chance to delight in the fact that it's better than it could have been. In his book. Dr. Cobb shares a study about gamblers at a casino. When one group of gamblers was told that the odds of winning were low, even winning a little bit of money made them very happy. But when another group was told that the odds of winning were very high, even when they won more money than the first group, they weren't as happy. Gamblers who didn't expect to win were happier when they won because for them, it was better than it could have been, better than the baseline they had mentally set for themselves. The space between how our life is and how it could be if we didn't have some of the things we have come to expect is what I call the valley of joy. We could live in a world without planes, where trips take months. We could live in a world without delicious coffee available to us every morning, I'm a little afraid to even imagine this. But we don't. Incredibly, we don't. The girls I met at the Sega School in Africa were some of the most joyful people I'd ever encountered. They're living examples that if we can practice not taking even the most basic things for granted, life becomes a series of miracles. We can feel joy in the most mundane moments. The everyday becomes the extraordinary. We get to spend more time in the value of joy. The power of giving thanks. I often think of gratitude as an act of kindness toward myself because it fills my life with joy and strengthens me when things aren't going great but gratitude can also be an act of kindness that we express towards someone else. As research shows, expressing our appreciation to others may be the most powerful way to experience the benefits of gratitude. Martin Seligman, one of the most prominent researchers in the field of positive psychology, led what has become one of the most well-known studies showing the benefits of expressing our thanks to others. He and his colleagues tested the impact of five different types of interventions, including writing down what you appreciate about your day, and found that writing a thank-you letter and delivering it to the recipient had the greatest positive impact on people's happiness one month after the study. Researchers highlighted that people who delivered the letter in person and read it out loud reaped the most benefits. Are you nodding as you read this? I was when I first encountered the study. Of course, it feels good to say thank you to someone we appreciate. Yet many people tell me that they had no idea that a tiny thing such as writing an appreciative letter or email could make them feel so good, or that it could be the thing that makes that other person's day. As we have talked about, our tendency is to dismiss simple things as not being meaningful enough to notice or engage in. But expressing genuine thanks is powerful because it reminds us that we have people in our life who care about us. They help us feel less alone in the battles we face, whether they're big or small. What's more, expressing our thanks can improve the quality of our relationships. In one study, published in Psychological Science, participants were asked to do one of four things, express gratitude to a friend, just think about reasons they were grateful to their friend, talk to their friend about something unrelated, or think about neutral topics. When participants expressed their appreciation, they began to see the relationship as one in which they and their friends supported each other. The authors of the study refer to this as communal strength, and they found that expressing gratitude regularly and frequently enhances the feeling that a relationship is mutually supportive. In another study, Amy Gordon and her colleagues at the University of California, San Francisco, found that people who were grateful for their partners were also more open and responsive to their partners needs and more committed to their relationships it's just too easy to take our relationships for granted whether they're with friends family colleagues or classmates we expect support from people we are close to we expect them to care about us and to always be around to help out we often don't pause to appreciate their support and care And if they don't meet our expectations we leave the valley of joy and head right back into the valley of suffering. Whenever I give a talk on gratitude, I ask audience members to do the following exercise. It only takes a minute or two, and it turns out to be one of everyone's favorite things from the talk because it's so simple and yet so powerful. Take a time out right now to do it with me. Expressing our thanks to someone is such a simple gesture, yet it can dramatically improve how we feel. It's the fastest way I know to get out of my head and shift my energy to feel more uplifted. But what makes this gesture even more magical is that while it brightens up our world, it also warms someone else's heart, who doesn't want to be reminded that they're meaningful. This tiny act of kindness often brings with it more happiness than we anticipate, both for the recipient and ourselves.